Kevin Durant officially questionable on the Phoenix Suns injury report and barring any setbacks, knock on all the wood you can find, he is expected to make his return on Wednesday. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, three things to look out for to get ready for KD's return and his home debut. Finally, let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Game day is upon us, a nationally televised game that is big for more than just the Durant return. But if you like what you're hearing, if you're finding us for the first time, hit follow or subscribe. Get us on whatever podcast platform you love. Get Locked On to your favorite team every single day. You can also follow along at Locked On PHX Suns, where... I will be bringing back the seven words or less game takes. I was in a little bit of a rut. I was in a little bit of a depression after the Durant injury. It's been three weeks. We're bringing it back. So at Locked on PHX Suns, follow along there. New shows will be posted there, but you can also chime in with your comments as well. You can also do that below on YouTube in the comments section. Let's go. A big day in not only the season, not only the week, but really Suns history. If you think about it, we're going to get... Right down to it, what to watch for, what to expect, what to be ready for as Kevin Durant returns. He is questionable on the injury report, making his way back from the left ankle sprain that he went out with exactly three weeks ago to the day on Wednesday. I would expect him to play. Every indication is that he will. Monty did not want to commit to that on Tuesday, which sort of brings us to my first uh, thing to be ready for, what really I think the the mood is going to be at Footprint Center on Wednesday. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Basketball GM, though. every If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM and managing your basketball franchise, this game is for you. Download the game by visiting ultimatebasketballgm.com or look it up on your favorite app store. Locked On listeners get a free 100% boost to their franchise when you use the code Locked On. All right, more from them later in the show. So the mood, the vibe, the atmosphere, I think it's going to be a little bit tense. I think it's going to be a little bit... Uh, yikes a little bit of the air sucked out of the room and for good reason and I think you know that's why I think Monty was was hesitant to outright say what he expects or doesn't expect as far as as KD goes because I'm not going to try to connect the fact that there was anticipation for the March 8th game to what ultimately resulted in his injury that would be that would be stupid of me to be completely honest with you but I don't think that anyone in that building wants to make Durant feel pressure or um, to overthink anything or to walk into that building feeling anything other than comfortable getting onto the court, playing with his teammates, playing in front of this fan base and getting ready for the postseason and, and ideally a championship run, right? And so that's just first and foremost. That's sort of a 30,000-foot view, what it will feel like. And I'm sure all of you didn't even need me to tell you that because you're already feeling that that tension. But more basketball-wise, I think how Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton 
are integrated, are, are used, and how they adjust to Booker and Durant's show, which is very much what it was in those three games with Durant a few weeks ago. That's the biggest thing to me, all right? Uh, I talked about touches a, a while back. It's hard to find that data for individual games at this point, so I wasn't able to go back and find that exactly, but shots, shot attempts, field goal attempts per 100 possessions in those three games with Durant are a very good approximation to show just how little use Paul and Aiton got, all right? So Booker shot almost 34 shots, shot attempts per 100 possessions in those three games. Durant was at almost 21 per 100 possessions. Campaign was third with almost 19 field goal attempts per 100 possessions in those three games. Chris Paul was down at 13. DeAndre Ayton was down at 10.4. And Ayton, with that number, was behind Damian Lee and Jock Landale in terms of field goal attempts per 100 possessions in those Durant games. Usage during those games. Chris Paul, 14.5%. DeAndre Ayton, 12.7%. Remember, with usage, 20 is a good benchmark if you divide up the five players on the floor, 100 total percentage of shots and turnovers and possessions used equals 20 per player. Those are both numbers significantly below 20. So with Aiton, I think the questions are uh, a couple things that I think we could see. Do the Suns incorporate more pick and roll with their, um, at least to in the starters minutes at the beginning of the first, at the end of the second, and at the beginning of the third. Late in games, fourth quarter, you just let the players go to work. Whatever is more comfortable, most comfortable, you don't want to over-orchestrate. But I think specifically Aiton, but even, even Chris Paul, incorporating more pick and roll rather than the ISOs, and even the off-ball screening actions that we saw to get those two players their shots, Booker and Durant, in those three games would be uh, helpful, right? It would, I think it would get both of them going. It would allow them to get a rhythm early in games rather than, you know, going the whole first and second quarter without really feeling involved. And then they're uncomfortable and out of rhythm and, and whatever the case may be with Aiton again, though, I think the other way to do this could just be to put Aiton out there with Durant in those, you know, KD plus bench lineups that were pretty effective in those three games earlier in March. Um, and that would allow you to have, you know, uh, not allow you, but it would, the ripple effect from that would be that Landale and Biombo play with the starters more. I think Biombo in particular, as we just saw this past week, is pretty comfortable doing that already. And so I think it could be pretty natural. And then, you know, Aiton is out there to run some pick and roll with Durant, to maybe run the floor, get some, some offense that way, those types of things without, um, it needing to come at the expense of as many other players, right? Space out everybody. Whereas in the first, in those first three games, it was really just Durant out there with the bench and everyone else off. Maybe you put Aiton in there and balance it out even more. With Chris, I'm just focused on wide open shots um, because he's shooting 41% overall from the field since February 1st, which is not very good. Obviously, will open wide open shots help him because he's gotten a lot of those with Durant. He's shooting 46% on wide open threes over the course of the season, which you would expect, right? But it's still good to see. He's 
if he's if he has a ton of space and he actually pulls the trigger, which is a, its own uh, question sometimes, but when he decides to shoot it and he has that space, more more often. Uh, I guess not more often than not. 46% of the time, to be very specific, but about half the time, it's going to go in, right? That's good. With Durant in those three games, Chris Paul got a whopping 13 wide-open threes, which is four per game. He made five of them, okay? Very good. Uh, That's a, I mean... I should have said that first. If I was really the content maven that I'm supposed to be, I would have shouted that out immediately because that is a very juicy stat, and you're welcome. 13 wide-open threes in three games alongside Durant for Chris Paul, and he made five of them, all right? So if he just keeps getting those and pulls the trigger when they're there, he's going to get right. He's going to have his field goal percentage up, uh, increase and you know get back on track. I, I don't have a I don't have a question about that. But we also know he doesn't just need to take threes, right? If he's at his best, he's he's punishing the defense with that mid-range shot. At a, at times he's driving and kicking, you know, all those things that Chris Paul does. He has to be able to to bring all of that. Otherwise, he's not making the biggest impact. So, the wide open threes I think can help him get his rhythm back, but he's going to need to do more than that in order to be really himself. Other thing I'm looking at, do the Suns with the rotation lean offense or defense? I've told you many times I'm done guessing what the rotation will be, but I do think that there's still a conversation to be had about what types of players does Monty Williams play. So we'll talk about that next. First, today's show, guys, brought to you by the Ultimate Pro Basketball GM, the coolest game I've played in a long time. We've always thought it would be great to be an NBA GM. Look, I put my GM hat on a ton from time to time on this show. If you've had the same thought or fantasized about managing your own basketball franchise, go download Ultimate Pro Basketball GM right now. This game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise, playing through seasons, leading your franchise to glory as you build a dynasty. In the simulation, you're responsible for dealing with challenging personalities, hiring the right coaches, trading and training players, Navigating your franchise through free agency in the draft, all in a challenging and realistic game world. They have angry superstars. They have prickly owners. They have ticket sale problems. All of this stuff factors in not just simple trade machine math, but more deep real world experiences. Locked on Suns listeners get a 100% free boost to your franchise when you use the promo locked on in the game store, make sure to check that out. Download the game by visiting probasketballgm.com. Scan the code, look it up in your favorite app store. Use the code locked on to get a 100% free boost. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. All right, so uh, the bench has gotten right in the past few games for the Suns. That's a big reason why they're coming off of back to back wins to keep the four seed and. Make everybody breathe a sigh of relief. But will that offensive output from the bench continue? Will Monty choose to keep riding the hot hands that have developed over the past week or so? Or will he revert back to more of what we saw the last time that Durant was on the court? When the main minutes getters off of the bench were campaign with 15, Ish Wainwright with 14, Torrey Craig with 12, and Terrence Ross with 13, and then Landale rounding it out with eight minutes at backup center. Those were the five, and that's a, a large, in large part leaning toward defense. In particular, I would say Wainwright and Craig 
being uh, such significant parts of things. Now, I think Craig still will be, and that's part of what you have to remember, right? Wainwright, TJ Warren, uh, whoever you think might slot in there, you have to remember Craig is coming now back to the bench and will take up a lot. So I think I don't really consider him too much of offense or defense. Obviously, mostly he's out there to defend, but he can make threes. He knows the offense. He's a, a basically a lock, in my opinion, at least for now. But the, the more interesting question, and I think Payne is, is a lock as well because they just don't have anybody that replaces what he does, right? But I think the, the biggest questions are, do Warren and Ross continue to get a ton of minutes? Do, does Monty say, you know, like I talked about with Brandon on Tuesday's show, is it just score, outscore the opponent, do whatever it takes, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, I honestly think the answer to that will be yes. But you also have to remember there are guys from Landry Shamit to Damian Lee to the center, backup center spot, where Kevin Durant was developing a pretty strong chemistry with Jock Landale, actually. Um, you know, drop passes, little lobs, all of that type of stuff, because, you know, one of the things that Durant ISOs allow you to do is you don't have to space the floor the old-fashioned way. As long as he's able to keep his dribble, bend the defense with his vision, with his eyes, with his... Again, the footwork, everything, keeping the dribble, then you can have somebody in the dunker spot. You can have people cutting. It doesn't have to be pure five out, space the floor basketball like it would be when you're running a more traditional pick and roll like the Suns have done in the past. And so Landale, some of these other guys were far, even a Kogi Craig, they were far more playable when uh, Durant was out there because they didn't have to be such balanced two-way versatile players. And so I think Landale is a good example of that where you almost like him because he can, he can fill some of the gaps offensively. He has touch. He has, uh, can read the floor better, all those things offensively. But at the same time, we know Biombo has been playing really well lately. He always does when he gets opportunities and, I wouldn't be surprised if Monty trusted him more. And so that's a little bit of a differentiation too. But again, I think Craig and Payne are locks. I think the question is, does Monty lean offense with the rest of the rotation, meaning Warren over Wainwright, meaning Ross over Shamit, Ross over Lee, Landale over Biombo, or does he lean defense, meaning Wainwright gets those minutes, Biombo gets those minutes, and then probably somebody like Landry Shamit gets the rest of those minutes. Obviously, there are some other factors here, right? DeAndre Ayton, I just mentioned, putting him out there in some of those bench-heavy lineups with Durant mixes things up even more. Then you're talking about, okay, rather than the backup center fitting super well with Durant, maybe the backup center needs to fit well with the other starters, meaning maybe you're back to Biombo, right? Pain. Do the Suns like to play Payne and Paul together, which is something that they've done at times but never really committed to? In that case, well, what does that look like? Are you, are, you know, is Booker getting time with the bench unit in some cases? Like, there's these trickle downs. Nothing's going to be one to one, which is why I'm trying to make it more of a question what you should be looking for. What I will be looking for is not so much who plays and whatever in the minute breakdown and all that, because that can get boring and that can get very different game to game. The variance on it is going to be there. Instead, 
what types of players, what are the lineup constructs and the style of basketball that Monty tries to pull out of the group by choosing which players to put out there. Lastly, this game is big, guys. So those were some things to look at from Durant's side. But uh, this is this whether Durant returned tonight or not, it was going to be a very big game in the standings, national TV, against an opponent that is making a run right now. We'll get into all of that next. First, today's show brought to you as well by FanDuel. The tournaments are heating up, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book an official sports betting partner of the NBA as well. That's because new customers get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on and sign up today to claim your no-sweat-first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spread to which team will be cutting down the net, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. The Suns, of course, have their odds here as well for uh, Wednesday night's game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are currently six-point favorites, minus 240 on the money line. The over-under is 235, which is a pretty high one. Uh, we'll talk about it in a second. I might, I might go under on that one. That seems pretty good. That all said, don't miss your shot. At a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up and get in on the action. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay, so the Minnesota Timberwolves are one of the hotter teams in basketball right now against all odds. They have won four straight. And so they are coming in with some momentum behind them. They got Carl Anthony Towns back. They got Anthony Edwards back from an injury that proved to be much less severe than it originally looked when he turned his ankle. And so they are at full strength, basically for the first time all season, um, or at least the first time in a while. Then they made a big trade with D'Angelo Russell and Mike Conley at the deadline. So this is the Minnesota Timberwolves in all of their glory, and they are feeling themselves. And so the Wolves winning on Wednesday night would put them a half game back from the Suns with, with that win, all right? For those who haven't really had to think about Minnesota that much, which is an, yet another team that we're sort of weighing against the Suns in the standings because the West is silly and everybody is 500, the head-to-head, if the Minnesota Timberwolves were to win tomorrow night, the head-to-head would be tied. I think it would be one-to-one. -one. I think the Suns beat them earlier in the season, and this would be... Uh, game number two, uh, which in this hypothetical would go to Minnesota. One to one, that is a tie, which means you move to the next tiebreaker, which is conference record. And Minnesota is, is either completely a lock to own that tiebreaker or a significant likelihood, especially if they were to win this game. Right now, the Suns are 25 and 20 in their conference. Uh, and the Minnesota Timberwolves are 27 and 20. So, you would imagine the Suns moved to 25 and 21. The Wolves moved to 28 and 20. That's a pretty difficult bridge to gap by the end of the season. So that tiebreaker would almost surely go Minnesota's direction there as well. Meaning that if they were tied in the standings at the end of the season, the Wolves would actually get the higher seed. Pretty crazy, right? You didn't think that Minnesota was going to be in some sort of position to really push the Suns, but here we are. And so where does that leave us? I think 
there's two things um, on either side, right? So let's go Suns first. The Suns have a feeling of desperation about them right now. I mean, that's that's not exactly the most uh, basketball breakdown type of observation to make, but Monty Williams was pretty vocal after uh, the Sixers win and again after the beating the Jazz of just how badly this team needed some positive uh, energy. Uh, they, the, I think the free throw disparity conversation dating back all the way to the game against Giannis and the Bucks, then the Lakers game, then, uh, you know, the whatever. The Kings game didn't really have that, but that conversation was there. I guess the Kings game sort of did. And then Monty gets fined. Booker's getting, you know, back to some of the more frustrating patterns of, of getting into it with officials. And, you know, you start to worry about if it's going to get in his head. He's, you know, that whole thing. Plus, the Aiton injury, I think that that kind of coalesced at a bad time for this team. And it wouldn't surprise me if losing those games, I think they lost seven of eight at one point before the past two wins, if it was starting to get in their head a little bit, not having KD, not knowing for sure when he's coming back, then DA goes out again and you're losing and the refs feel like they're against you every night and on and on. Plus the postseason's coming. It's creeping up on you. It's right around the corner. I'm sure that a lot of the guys in that locker room were just getting antsy, getting nervous, getting anxious about, hey, is this are, is this going to happen? Are we all good here? Is this what we thought it was going to be? Or is this something where we figure it out, try our best, and really get ready for October. I don't think anyone was getting that far ahead of themselves, but they're human. This has been a weird, stupid, frustrating season for anyone who cares about the Suns, let alone the people who play on the team, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if all of that was in their brains. They're able to get over the hump against Philadelphia, a clearly limited, hurt, whatever, tired version of Joel Embiid and, and no Harden. And they beat them. Then they beat, take care of business against the Jazz like they needed to. And now it's a sigh of relief. Two wins in the bag. Four seed is still right there. And Durant's coming back. So they're, they're, they're rolling. They're good. I think the Suns are, are fine. And they're back at home, which is also nice. You know, In L.A., in Sacramento, in Philadelphia, those are three bad environments. And they, they were all uh, you know close games. On the Wolves' side, it's about defense to me, okay? And so Minnesota is ninth in defense in the league this season. Bet you did not expect that. You know, I guess the Gobert trade maybe did help in some of the ways that we thought. Uh, yeah, Minnesota being ninth in defense, New Orleans being sixth, and Chicago being fifth, I guess. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I think we got to really uh, reevaluate what we value there. But Minnesota's defense is legit. You know, you would think some of these teams, it's just a big 82-game sample of teams missing threes against them. There's not always a lot of effect that a team can have against an opponent on the three-point side of things. But the Wolves have actually been on the, the less lucky side of that. Teams are actually making threes against them, and yet still... The Wolves are holding opponents to the seventh worst effective field goal percentage in the league, meaning that opponents are missing at the rim, missing from mid-range, and those are, especially at the rim, areas where the defense can have a bigger effect and somewhere where Gobert in particular has almost always had a positive impact. So that is, that's still going to be there, you know, but fortunately the Suns don't really attack the rim. So maybe you see Aiton have a quiet night, contrary to what I said at the beginning. It could just be a matchup thing where it takes him maybe another game before he is able to, to get a rhythm. Maybe the Suns don't even actually uh, go at that 
oppor- try to build in opportunities for him, TBD. The other thing about Minnesota, though, is they force turnovers, and we know that can be a problem for the Suns. Now, with Durant, I would I didn't get the numbers for this, but watching it, they passed less, right? Like we talked about the pick and roll. They didn't really run as much pick and roll. They didn't run as much quote-unquote .5 offense like we've seen Monty's teams do here in Phoenix. They would toss it into the high post, you know, run a quick off-ball action, one pass, and it's a shot. That's not a bad thing. They were amazing. Everybody was getting crushed by them. Yet, um, you know, it it's also going to limit turnovers. And so maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's another way that the Suns are have a little bit of an advantage against Minnesota here is that they're not going to play into their hands, turning defense into offense like the Wolves can do to you. So those are some some big picture things. I think the Suns could and can and will generate a lot of threes. I think they will pick at Carl Anthony Towns as we saw them do in the beginning of the season in their first matchup against one another. Make him chase players off ball um, as much as possible. Make him play team defense, be aware of his surroundings and all that stuff. Maybe they can be another team that gets it going from deep against Minnesota. Um, But also... They're going to take shots from mid-range. And yes, teams have missed those in large part. You know, I think Jaden McDaniels is somebody who can contest from behind, recover guarding pick and rolls. You know, Anthony Edwards, probably the same. Mike Conley's pretty pesky getting through screen. So it won't be easy, but the Suns are the Suns. They're going to make those shots. It might be a mid-range battle for Phoenix. As far as matchups go, my guess is that in a lot in a lot of ways, it's pretty chalk, but they're going to have to account for Towns, and that's where things get interesting, right? So I think Conley will guard Paul. I think Ant will guard Book. I think McDaniels will guard Durant, which will be probably the single most fun matchup of the night. I'm very excited. I think Jaden McDaniels is a super fun young player. Even Durant having to guard him is not going to be a cakewalk. And then I think Gobert guards Aiton, which leaves Towns to guard Kogi. The Suns are actually now, with their trade and the fact that Kogi is in that starting lineup, one of these teams where... Um, you give somebody, you give an opponent with a a big man who needs to be hidden a little bit of a of a place to hide them, and so uh, that that's probably what we see. Now, if you remember, and I don't know how much I believe this, but you remember the Suns had, um, Monty's told us after the Suns traded for Durant that the fifth starter would be matchup dependent. Now it hasn't been because Okogi started all three games with Durant, then Durant got hurt. And then now Craig's been in, but maybe this is a game where the Suns actually do start Craig and have him guard towns. And the reason I say that is because as much as I was just talking about some of the ways that the Suns pose some problems for towns uh the suns also don't currently have a great option to guard towns themselves it's probably a kogi or uh i guess durant actually could be and then maybe a kogi guards uh, a kogi's probably going to guard ant i guess so then booker guards mcdaniels paul guards conley that's how you could do it but if you had craig out there it solves that problem a little bit more easily you don't necessarily also want durant having to guard towns uh, in his first game back. That's that's a pain. Um, so that's it. I think uh, Minnesota's defense and how the Suns adjust to that, the Suns' level of desperation and how much they can keep the momentum and good vibes going, and then, you know, just the standings being at stake. It's, it's a huge game. It's going to be a fun one. It's at home. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you will be there, as I always say. So say hi if you see me. 
But most of all, enjoy yourself, whether you are there or on TV. I will be back with you after the final buzzer with a podcast recap of that game. So hit follow or subscribe if you're not there already. If you have not done so already, get this show in your feed the minute it goes up. In the meantime, go make Locked On NBA your second listen here on Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. I will also be on that show. So if you want more of my thoughts about the league as a whole, hit that show up. It's available on all podcast platforms as well. And I'll talk to you all tomorrow.